So Miss Bailey, I'm so excited to have you. Um, I'm glad that you agreed to come on. I know um, we're in just unusual times right now, um, but I just wanted to kind of start off and just share a little bit, maybe about you know who you are, what you do, and maybe just even what you want for your, your child. Okay, um, my name is Sasha Bailey. I have three kids. I have a 10-year-old, a six-year-old, and a um, eight-year-old. I have two boys, the 10 and six-year-olds. Um, I am a history and photography teacher at a local high school here in Charleston. Um, trying to see what else, and I, I guess that's really it. Okay, and you know, just like any other parent, what are some things that you see in your children and you want them, what are, what are the things that you would like for your children to have? Um, my kids are, my boys specifically are, are super, um, they're really intelligent and I know that they can go as far as they want. And so I just try to instill um, pride and, um, and a self-awareness so that way they can achieve all their dreams and mm -hmm. yeah, aspirations and dreams. Yes. Okay. And you know, um, I know that your children have gone to kind of more like a charter school. Um, yeah. Can, can you kind of share just because there, there's a lot of people that are kind of um, on board with charter schools or anti-charter schools. So what, what do you think, um, what has been the benefits of your children being in a um, charter school? And also just coming from a background, you're in education yourself. So it's, it's interesting to hear somebody in education speaking to why you agree or, or like the idea of a charter school. I do like the idea of a charter school because the charter school seems to have a little more control over their setting and, and their environment and their rules. And so um, I feel like when you talk to someone in the charter school, you talk to the principal, that principal ultimately has that, that final decision to where they're not, they're not led by like a board. And so, and also like the relationship because charter schools are typically smaller or at least my child's school is, um, they really, you really build that relationship with your child. So where even if there is an infraction, that they know that that infraction does not define your child. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, I, and I think that's important. That's the, so they see your child as more than their behavior, if there was a behavior. Mm -hmm. So, and that's why I'm always a big advocate for um, charter schools. And also academically, I do like the fact that they do really, um, they're, they really do keep uh, track of your child's academics and they really push them. It's a really, it's a small, school to me is like more of a small family so I, I love that and um you know I actually grew up in a it wasn't a charter school it was a, a private school but I think when people hear private school you think of this uh rich catholic girl you know kind of thing <laughs> um my my school was very small there was eight people in my graduating class or seven trying to remember and uh, in order to keep my mom worked there so that I could go to that small school and you would have to do fundraisers along the way. Like parents had to be involved in the school and the kids had to be involved. And um, that's kind of my understanding of the, the school that your child attends too, is, is parents have to be highly involved, whether it's, uh, um, I, I know you all do certain types of events at the school. I think parents are required to be, um, be at those events, is that, is that right? Yeah, there is an accountability. We're also, we're required to do a certain amount of hours of volunteering. Mm -hmm. um every um every school year but i mean once you've been at the school so long that you've already built that close-knit to where teachers are allowed to just kind of like they the relationship is already there in place to where a teacher could say hey do you mind helping out with this or 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 you can you can easily text the teacher and say hey i see you're having this do you guys need any help or support so there is a better um there's a really good balance there with um so that way and also it helps so that way one person or one the parents aren't always doing all the work or feeling like they're doing all the work and the teachers don't feel like they're doing all the work to make everything work. And you know, that's something that I really appreciate about my school and seeing this in your school is, um, you know, when a person is part of the, you know, uh, helping to make the decisions or a part of the events or whatever, I think they're much more even bought into education. Do you feel, have kind of that sense I, at, the school that um, maybe parents and, and so forth are maybe more bought into their child's education than at uh, possibly other schools? Yeah, I do feel like you're more invested. You've invested your time. You really want to see that things go well. 
and you're um and you've invested into your children and the other kids around in the um in the school also so i i like putting time and it, it's always a positive environment to be able to see even if you're not there other parents the kids see parents come there to volunteer or it just it makes for a really nice and happy environment to see that everyone's working cohesively together and you know why do you feel um why do you think academics are so important to you as a parent in your perspective um, and I think it's because we've always been taught that like academics is how we're going to change our lives and that's something that we've been instilled in us since a um since a younger age is that like oh um you're being good at school is really how you're going to to change your um change your generation like change your yeah so you know like for some of us like our parents were and our parents or grandparents were went to segregated schools they didn't have as many opportunities so we were always taught to take advantage of as many op educational opportunities as possible to try to change those generational um those the things that we that they were spaced to our family's generational and you know what's interesting is, is you brought up um, segregated schools, which is actually, um, you know, I think people think of stuff as being so long ago that we should no, just- Oh, it's still very prevalent, yeah. It, it is, and you know, one in um, the 70s, you know, is when you were seeing schools still being desegregated. Um, you know, that happened at my mother's school. Um, my, my mom's school um, was one of the, the, the first schools, um, I'm from West Virginia, that, um, and honestly, it's not a very diverse area, you know, in general, but it was one of the first schools that had um, black, brown, African-American people in it. And, um, you know, like it, it's just interesting because again, I think people get their mindsets that this was so long ago, but it really wasn't. It was my parents' generation. My parents are still relatively young, right? The, yeah. My, my mom is 60. Um, so it, it really wasn't that long ago when it happened. And I often tell people, you know, when you think things, you know, and I'm sorry, I'm jumping uh, down the ship here a little too far, no, um, but, you know, something that people don't think about is they're like, oh, well, you know, you know, I pulled myself up by the bootstraps and, you know, they get these ideas, but I, you know, I tell people, I'm like, do you really think that the child coming out of the school that was just desegregated, um, where there were N-words written all over their bus and many other things that they faced, they had the exact same opportunity. You, you might have treated them nicely, but did they have the same chance at a job? Did they have the same yeah. chance? So like, that's what I want people to understand is, um, and you please jump in here, but like, I want people to understand that while things ended, it didn't mean like those attitudes didn't change. It didn't mean that, um, you know, people that might've had the exact same qualifications, they, they might've been, have brown skin and white skin, they might've had the exact same qualifications. So that doesn't mean that either one of them didn't work hard. They, they both may, may have worked hard, um, but maybe the, the, the white person might've been the first one to get the position. And, you know, um, and it, that was just this generation, you know, that's, that's what I want people to understand as we're coming up on this. Um, so I mean, College Charleston didn't desegregate till 1966 is what I just, I graduated from College Charleston. And I remember being there. Um, no, like they celebrated their 40th anniversary of the desegregation in 19, in 2008. So the college I graduated from didn't even desegregate until 1966. It's, That's, it's, it's incredible. But you know, what I've found, and I, I want your opinion, this is, I, I've, just been in South Carolina for what seven years now, I guess. Um, so I'm still learning, and I've been blown away every day by the things that I often hear. But something I notice is I, I kind of feel like our schools are still. I mean, I know it's not on the law books that we're we're yeah. segregated, but I'm amazed that we still continue to have um, entirely 9900%, you know, black schools and 100% white schools. I mean. Um, I, I I still feel like there's a lot of segregation. Yeah, I do feel like there's still a lot of segregation in the sense of like, because of our neighborhoods are still segregated, typically. Mm -hmm. They're still typically all white neighborhoods and they're still typically all black neighborhoods. And so um, I guess until we start segregating our neighborhoods and our and our houses and, and, and I guess that's more of a city issue of how they're drawing the lines for that, um, but, and that all plays an effect of how schools are, yeah, 
and how the schools become segregated. Well, and, and then, you know, when we talk about, um, I, I am honestly right now in a predominantly um, white Caucasian <laughs> neighborhood. Um, yeah. I, I wish that there was more diversity in my neighborhood, but then um, we start to hear these stories of, you know, even um, recently of, uh, you know, Ahmad um, lived in a predominantly white area, jogged every day, um, is, and ends up being assumed that he is a criminal. Um, and obviously it's shot out of a racist act, you know, in, in my opinion, um, of course, but what, um, you know, do, do you think, that, you know, hearing stories like that is, is what, you know, it, it kind of seems like we start to, people are starting to be more open and stuff and then something like that happens. I mean, um, you know, I think it's, I think like sometimes we are scared. Mm -hmm. to I know as me as a mother of two boys I, I mean I would be scared to have my boys in a predominantly white neighborhood because like there are instances and when we, before a mod happened there was there was Trayvon yes. and Trayvon was walking in his father's neighborhood with a hoodie and skittles and he was deemed dangerous so sometimes you want to stay to where you're comfortable because like your because your presence sometimes is dangerous to other people and you don't want to ever put your children in a situation to where their presence where like they're seen as a as a threat and because yes no that that actually brings me to um so i have this uh i guess i don't know if you want to call it utopian type mindset sometimes and um i I honestly love people like and i i'm the kind of person like let's get along like uh, every kid that comes into my office or every kid I meet, they become my kid. I, I love kids. I, I recognize that we're different. I see your color. I recognize your culture. But um, when you come in, you're one of mine. And I get one, sometimes one of these mindsets um, that when I think about, well, I would never do that to a kid. I, I would never hurt a kid, like whether they're yeah. brown or black or, you know, in my neighborhood. Um, so I get this very, um, you know, I was telling um, you the story earlier, and I'm going to tell her um, for our viewers here, I was walking uh, along the side of my house and my dog started pulling me. All of a sudden there's this mama deer that stood up over top of her baby and I'm just a few feet from her. And generally does attack when you're near their baby. And I kind of got on past her and she didn't do anything. And it was almost like there, there was this trust. But if I would have built that trust with that mama deer, um, you know, the next person that comes along can be the hunter. And I think that's something that kind of hit home to me because I have a hard time sometimes understanding where a African-American or a black mama might be coming from. And when I saw that, you know, I kind of thought about it is, yes, there are good people. And I think people's defense go up as soon as we start talking about these comfort, these, these, these type of scenarios, because, you know, especially white people get uncomfortable because they're like, I'm, I'm doing the right things. I, I love people. But the truth is, is there's somebody that could be right behind you that doesn't mean well by, by the child. And, and so it started making me click like that might be the way a, a, an African-American mama feels is there's still that caution light up, um, so to speak. Yeah. After Trayvon Martin um, was killed, I remember expressing to one of my white friends like I was really upset because like he was a teenager and I know a lot of times like society does not see our 16 year old boys as teenagers they're seen as grown men in their eyes yes um but then he's still a child he was was 60 yeah he was 16 at the time I believe he died um and I remember expressing like I'm really scared like that really bothers me and my well-meaning white friend said but you shouldn't have to worry because your son looks safe and so that kind of opened my eyes to that mentality because when you know like I didn't know that they that our teenage boys, black teenage boys were not deemed safe to, to like, to even walk mm -hmm. to like, to that their presence is dangerous to them, to, to those who, you know, and so, yeah. And, you know, here, here's the, the thing, something I learned, um, in, in a personal story here is we do assume like we all have our own bias of what people look like that are going to hurt or, you know, it, like you assume something about people. And um, I know I was working at a high school and I'd been warned about a student. I had never seen him before, but people told me 
this kid is trouble. I think he was 17 at the time. Um, he's, he's been selling drugs. He's, you know, I heard a million stories about this kid and I was supposed to be his school counselor. Right. So he comes mm -hmm. into my office and I already have all of these assumptions about him. And he was an African-American child. And, um, he comes in and he has a grill. He has very baggy pants on. He's like that stereotypical. And again, because everybody had already painted in my head, this child, I had my assumptions. Like I was like, okay, this, he's trouble, you know? And then I started talking to this kid. And every time I said something to him, he was like, yes, ma'am. And sometimes he didn't understand what I was saying. And as I started having this conversation with him, I realized, yeah, he kind of looks like a man. He's 17, but he's still, he's still very much a child. And, yeah. um, I found myself getting teary eyed and, and realizing my own bias. I assume because a kid has a grill that they're, um, you know, criminal, <laughs> like, because they have a grill. Um, and you know, it, it, I got emotional after that because I let people set up my own opinion of this kid before he came into my office and um, he was a good kid. Now, did he do a lot of bad stuff? Yeah. Um, but after you got to know this kid, you realize one, he, he academically, he struggled. He was a target for being part of a gang because he didn't have, you know, positive adult role models in his life. Um, he, I believe, was probably selling to help his family out to make sure a light bill was paid. And um, all of a sudden, my assumptions of what I thought, you know, who drug dealers were or what, you know, these people were completely changed because yeah. a person doesn't generally choose to do drugs. It is out of a, a fear, out of a um, protecting their family or, and it, I'm not saying it's right. Like I'm not validating, you know, it, but they're a person and they should be seen as a person first, you know? Yes. And, and, um, and too many times we sit there and someone has an infraction and we don't, we no longer see them as anything else, but their infraction. And <laughs> which is why like they have the tendency when someone dies of a police brutality or some racist act, they bring up their past. So that way they dehumanize them. them so that way you no longer see them as Oh, George Floyd, you see him as the man who had robbed someone years ago. And although he made amends and he changed his life, moved forward, they don't want you to see black men as anything else more than their infractions. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, because again, you know, I, you know, you hear people constantly, you know, as soon as um, African Americans are saying, I feel this way, people are like, well, there's good and bad on every side, police and, 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 black and white and you know people go down that path um off you know so, some people do anyway um but something that like really stuck with me is you know I never had I've always been taught to respect everybody in authority like but my parents never had to have a talk with me about how to deal if you're in a situation with an officer I mean uh, and um, I had a friend who you know as well. She also worked with us at Sanders Clyde. She posted this on her Facebook, and I just wanted to get your uh, you know opinion and just see if this is something that you have ever considered with your own child, or if you've ever had this talk because it it made me pretty emotional to hear this. And you know, again, it was one of those moments where you know I'm like, yeah, I I do have some white privilege here, you know, but um. Yeah. It says, a, a personal testimony my son and I shared together and continue to pray about daily concerning his life. My son was stopped around um, by the police around 6.45 in the morning on his way to work this year. My son and, of all, and I have always discussed if he, was ever, um, if he was ever stopped by the police and what I wanted him to do. I must say I was so frightened when he FaceTimed to let me know the police stopped him. I quickly remembered our forever discussion if this was ever to happen. I stayed on FaceTime with him and I was already walking quickly to my truck to go where he was stopped at. Thank God I made it there in a timely manner. I pulled my truck in front of his car. The police asked my son, who was that in the truck? My son said, my mommy. The police said, why is she here? My son replied saying, my mommy don't want you to kill her only son. My son said, "Police." Um, the police officer looked shocked. The police officer kindly came to my truck to tell me he apologized for me being so fearful and applauded me for being so brave all at the same time. I said to the police officer, it is so shameful that we're, this is where we are in the world today. 
Now I have a type letter in my son's car for him to give to a police officer of stop, simply saying, as this young, young man's mother, please allow my son the opportunity, sorry, I lost my place here, um, please allow my son the opportunity to bury his mother first and not to bury my son first. Thank you, a God-driven mother, to always save my son's life because my son's life's matter to me. And, you know, regardless of where people stand on this, like, that's a real fear. Like, that is something, have you had those type of conversations with your son already as in? No, like, and the only reason why is because, because of this situation, my children are leading such a sheltered life. I pick them up from school. They, they walk nowhere. Um, They hang out like in our yard, like, but there's no interactions um, right now at the age of like six and eight, and also, I mean, six and 10, and even my eight-year-old daughter, like, I don't foresee police interaction because I don't allow for it to happen. Like, they're never out of my eyesight, which is also sad because my other, the, the white children in my neighborhood are allowed to go biking by themselves, and I, I just won't allow it. Like, I, I just won't allow any of that to happen because of those type of interactions, and it's so hard to sit there and say, like, I can instruct my 10-year-old how to do, but when, and when the adrenaline rushes in, if a police officer were to stop them or some type of interaction would have happened, I can't sit there and say that they will do exactly what I tell them to do because, like, they're scared. Mm-hmm. They're like, he's still a child. And so, like, yeah, and so, so right now we have not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's mostly because it's sheltered. We're, we're just, they're leading a very sheltered life. And that's the only way I know how to do it is to safeguard them from those interactions. I've had friends who, who sit there and like, when police are looking for someone who's been breaking into the cars, mm-hmm. the, um, the description is where they're looking for a six foot black male. That's the only description you hear, mm-hmm. six foot black male. And so then their, their kids can't go outside because their kids, although they may be 14 or 15, fit that description and they're worried about those interactions like oh what would my 15 year old do if someone pulls up on them and says freeze put your arms up like how are like what if they don't you know do you know what I mean like we're just like and you know I think about especially if you lived in an area where it's predominantly white and people only know one black kid and it could have been a kid from out of state or anything that maybe did something but your kids automatically be or it could be a grown man, like a grown yeah. man, and you're, and everyone who's black and six foot will get that same um, character. Yeah. yeah, and so therefore your child can't go outside for that week, and then you're trying to explain to your white friends, like, well, he can't go outside because they're looking for a black male, and I'm not going to put my child in that interaction of, of with the police, like, um, so <laughs> yes, so I just, I would love to I mean, I am going to have to have the talk when my child is getting older. He will have to be, he will be doing things on his own mm-hmm. and a little bit. So like, I, I will have to have that talk, but it's still scary because like, he's still a child. Right. And so you're asking for a child to sit there and, and deescalate a situation that where like, he didn't even, he didn't escalate. Right. And, and what know, we're asking black children to do, deescalate the police to make sure they don't get shot when they didn't escalate it. And you know, it, on, on top of that, I, I mean, I think something, because, you know, at the school I was at before, I remember um, there was a kindergarten student, and he loved me. Like, sometimes, sometimes I, I, I think he would forget I was white, almost. Like, he would um, constantly be telling me, uh, white people don't like black people. And he told me, and again, this is a kid that would come to me all the time, loved me, I loved him. And he would say, officers want to kill black kids. Like, he, he was always saying stuff like that, very concerned about it. Um, and it's just, you know, interesting because you, he was always worried. You could see that he was always thinking about that. So there was part of me that, um, it broke my heart when he would, would say that. And I, you know, I'm like, you know, I was like, yeah, there are some people that aren't good. You know, I, you know, I love you. That's the only thing I knew, you know, to kind of tell him. Um, but you could tell his parents were having those conversations with him and it scared him all the time. Um, so I get the parents already having that conversation with them, but then all of a sudden, you know, I also get where you're coming from, where you kind of want to protect them and, 
and not let, you know, it, it, I can't imagine how tough it is, you know, the balance of, um, you, you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah, yeah, it's, it's, we don't, you don't want it. You want them to, um, you want them to enjoy their childhood and not, and you want to protect them. You want to protect their, their, their emotional, social, emotional health and everything else. And so to sit there and, and say like, Hey, if you don't do this right, you could potentially get shot. Like, you know, and then that's like, that's really, that's a scary idea. And I don't know how to, I don't, I don't know how to, I mean, like a lot of people live with that, but I don't know how I would personally would be able to tell my child, like, if you don't, if you don't follow his commands to a T and, and like, if you don't do, if you put your arms down accidentally, or if you move too fast, you can get shot. And how do you explain that to a child? Like right. that's, you would never sit there and say, if you, if you, we don't, we don't, we tell kids be safe, but we don't sit there and say, oh, if you do this, you'll die. You'll be, you'll decapitate yourself. But yet we have to say with police officers, situational police officers, if you do this, you will get shot and killed. We would, and, and that is, um, yes. And it is, it is daunting because I will have to have that talk pretty soon with him, um, with my oldest at least. Um, you know, something that, um, this is coming from, I guess, my, my white side here talking. I'm, uh, um, you know, again, like I want to see, I want more diversity in the community that I'm living in, you know? Um, but again, you know, when you're telling me, you know, these things I get where you wouldn't want to band together with people that look like you, you know, and, um, and to protect your child. Like I, I, I totally get that, but it's, um, how I mean it's just it's it's one of those just daunting tasks thinking about like how do you um I want if I have kids Miss Bailey I want them to see other African-American children I want them to have um you know an African-American teacher I want them to see African-Americans as councilmen as all these things because I want them to know that um we're to respect all people you know, and that all people are evaluating all these, you know, but it is very much like we still naturally tend to like segregate ourselves. Um, and, and I think it's more so because like you, I mean, now that the media has brought it, not the media, but social media rather has brought it, like you see people's like what they deal with sometimes. Yeah. Like you see that, like they could question doing like the most mundane activity, like oh, your music is too loud. Well, it's like in the middle of the day or you're laughing too much or like, I mean, just the most, and you get questioned and sometimes you just want to be comfortable in your space. Right. You don't want to have to beg to be in an up space. You mm -hmm. want to be comfortable in your space. And then it's, it's like, and, um, and you don't always want to have those interactions. And, right. I, and I think that's kind of, that's kind of where we are now is that like, we're just, sometimes they just don't allow Black people, they don't allow them to be, just be. Right. We and question their presence. Ex exactly. I mean, I would say probably the, the thing that I've seen that um, blew me away probably the, the most in, uh, and I'm not talking about in regards to like a shooting, I'm talking about just in, I guess, what people call care in moments kind of thing. Yeah. Um, is, you know, I've seen incidents where um, a Black family went to a neighborhood pool. And, you know, they were questioned, let me see your papers, <laughs> you know, do you live here? And um, the reality is, if I went to anybody's neighborhood pool, I don't think they would stop me. Um, you know, like, I don't think I would have been questioned on whether I'm supposed to be there or not. Um, as long as I didn't like hop the gate, you know, if I had a key, I wouldn't have been questioned. And those are instances that I've seen, I think that have been most obvious that um why a person would be asked you know yeah and, and that is like and that's exhausting because here you are you're battling so many different things you're battling systemic racism you're battling police brutality and then you're bad like you try to be peaceful in your own dwelling and then you you deal with it there too um and so and it's like there's really nothing to combat it because you can either sit there and stand up for yourself or you can comply with every woman who wants to ask you for your idea if you belong in the building. Why are you laughing so loud? Why are you, your children are drawing chalk on the sidewalk? 
the spacing, public property, all kinds of like random things that that would not that some white families don't have to deal with. Like, um, yeah. And so, and it, it is, it is anxiety. It's like, it does give you anxiety. And it gives you, mm-hmm. it gives you anxiety and it's stressful mm-hmm. um, because you're always on, because you're always waiting for the next incident. Right. And because you're just waiting for some, for the next interaction to where like, you have to like, you have to stand up for yourself or stand up for your family, your children. Yes. And, you know, um, I would love to get, you know, some feedback from, from your perspective. Um, like I, I just kind of give you an example of, you know, what I feel my, my role is in this. Um, and I want you to give me feedback and tell me what other people can do. Um, so something from the time I started in CCSD schools, um, it was a quick awakening um, as to the things that were happening. I mean, it literally was a few days did I notice um, discrepancies and um, immediately um, I started trying to read um, things from like African-American point of view. Um, you know, I started reading, um, I started with a child series called Chains. It's like a fifth grade. If you've never read it, you should read it. Um, the history of, you know, it, it's a historical fiction book. Um, but, you know, I started trying to like invest and understand what was going on. Um, I had never heard the story. Um, I forget the young African-American's name, um, that was put on trial here in South Carolina and he was executed at the age of 14 after being accused of, um, um, supposedly, um, I think raping, uh, a young girl. Oh, uh, George, isn't it George Stinley, Stinney? Um, that sounds right. Yes. Something like that. Yes. And um, I never, honestly, like these are stories I never heard in my entire life. And, um, you know, so like something I feel is my job, um, not job. It's, it's being person, being a person is understanding perspective. So, you know, every so often I'm trying to read a book to further understand my, you know, so I, I believe in, and breeding things. Um, I believe in um, setting down with people that look different from me and finding what we have in common and how I can help. So I'm, I'm trying to have conversations that might be uncomfortable for a lot of people. Um, understanding, you know, man, when, especially when those November elections come around, like I need to make sure that I'm voting for people that are not only gonna benefit m- myself, but how they benefit others and how their choices might hurt others. And um, and my mentee, um, she's African-American. I love her to death. And all of my, you know, the majority of my kids when I was a school counselor were African-American. So it's, it's also being open to her culture and letting her, you know, she, she's laughed at the way I say words because I'm from Appalachia. And um, I said, well, we all have, you know, different accents, different tones. So that's what makes us unique. And, and we're all beautiful in that. And, you know, so those are things that, and I want to expose her to as many different things as I can. I want the kids in downtown to be able to see the same things that the kids in the number one schools in Mount Pleasant and across Charleston County get to see. I want them to have those same networking abilities. Um, But is there anything um, else that we can do? Um, You know, uh, even, you know, my husband's like, what can I do? Like, I, I don't know what to do. So if, if you were talking to uh, white male, white female right now, what is it that you would ask? Um, I, I guess like just, I, I mean, I, I honestly, I don't know. I don't know how to solve the problem. I guess um, just, um, provide like for your mentee like provide her as many opportunities as possible and sometimes that's really what's missing with african-american children is just the opportunities because we're not afforded the same opportunities even still today Mm -hmm. we're not um we're not invited to certain events we're not like the networking we don't have the same networking Mm -hmm. um opportunities that many um yeah so, so i think really just is um, using some of your privilege to um, to open the door for her, so that way she can she can network and and do everything that she needs to do also. 
And, you know, I also understand and what I want others to realize, I ask you because I always want to improve and I want to do better and I want to do right by people. Um, but I, I think too, like it's, it's so much bigger than one person, 10 people. It, it is systemic problem. Um, so it is um, changing, you know, votes, making sure that we're um, trying to get more people that represent people, women and people of color and things like that. Um, and people make that sound really easy. Um, and I want to get your opinion too, because you'll hear people be like, well, they got a problem. They just need to, you know, go to the polls and vote. And they need to get more, I've heard people say, get more black people in, but it, you know, it's harder than that because um, I have a statistic, I should have had it pulled up here, but um, the average household income is like 10 times greater in a white household. So, and we know that politics is often money. So for, to, to be able to realistically think oftentimes like it's that easy, it's not. So um, even supporting, you know, positive black candidates, would, would be a helpful way like and and that starts by expanding our own circle i think of, of white people and not and black people not staying in our bubbles reaching across the lines there so to speak and and getting to know hey miss bailey and i we hold we hold the same values um i i would vote for you you know kind of thing um so but um would you add anything to that yeah i mean i do i do agree like it's not an easy fix I mean, it's not as easy as like lawmakers, like voting in particular lawmakers or because the um the problem goes so far deep. The start because the lawmaker has nothing to do with just a person in a grocery store who mistreats you or or yeah. denies yeah. you entrance to a pool or like that's not um it's one part of it, but it's definitely not going to fix what it's not definitely gonna be the change that we need. We need like um we need those who are really say that they're um, that they're anti-racist to really step up, Absolutely. and so that way people who are racist will no longer feel comfortable. There is no, there is no, um, they no longer can sit there and, and like have these racist tirades and in, in a restaurant and then feel comfortable going to work the next day. Like those, we gotta shut those people down and and like yes. Absolutely. And, and also, and I also think that like in people who have racist family members call them out yes like no longer sit there and allow someone to, to say a racist comment and think like oh well that's just them like let's not mm -hmm. let's not um give people the benefit oh grandma's old well everyone has to change like we're like stop giving people the benefit of the doubt because those tirades and those those interactions sometimes turn into police being called people getting killed like it just yes Absolutely. And I think it's also giving people the, you know, opportunity, like if you hear, like people can hear this from, um, I can't even think of an example, but, you know, somebody very distant from them and still deny, it's even with this pandemic, until somebody knows somebody that dies from it, do they believe that they don't it exists? Take it seriously, yeah. And um, so that just popped in my head. I'm like, wait a minute, perfect example. Um, and you know, I, I think sometimes until people have actually experienced or know somebody who's experienced this, it's almost like it's a denial. Well, I don't do it. I don't see it. I've got black friends. I've got, you know, and, um, you know, that's, you shouldn't have to prove it. You shouldn't have to wait. Just like with this pandemic, we shouldn't have to wait until somebody dies before we're believing it. I mean, there, there's been hundreds of thousands of people that died. There's been, hundreds of people that have died in, you know, probably just recent years with police brutality, there's an issue, you know, there is an issue. And um, I, I think that's, you know, something even, um, and I've been guilty of that, like not realizing things actually happen until I kind of saw it. And, um, you know, even um, one more thing, and, you know, I'll hop off here and let you go, because I could talk forever <laughs> with you. I really appreciate you. Um, you know, even not only are we talking about, um, the other thing you'll hear people say a lot of times is, what about black on black crime? And that's not not comparable for what we're talking about. Um, but when, when people are talking about, there's, most of the time people kill within their own race. Like, that's not even something that we're talking about right now. Um, but something that bothered me in the community that we've been in is how often I've heard about children being shot 
or their uncles being shot. And um, if it was in the news, it was barely in the news. And I'm talking about when children were shot. And I know that had it been probably a white child, it would have been on a, what's, what's her name? The, the, the lady Nancy, that's Nancy Grace. Nancy yeah, Grace. Uh, she would yes. have plastered everywhere. Uh, I mean, I've had children shot. Um, there was a kid with Down syndrome from, uh, I think it was North Charleston, was it North Charleston High School, I think, last year, um, that was shot along with his dog. He lived, but you never heard about it again. You heard more about the, um, Caitlin the dog, which was a terrible, awful thing. You know, you, we heard about that for years and funding got put toward helping animals with abuse and all these things. And a child was shot and it was barely heard about. And I don't know if anybody was ever caught for that. And he was a young African-American Down syndrome child. And that's, that's where I've seen things as well. I mean, um, have you noticed anything like that or have anything to add to that? Yeah, like we've always been taught that like, for example, when our children go missing, that mm -hmm. like we're not going to get the same publicity as white children. Mm -hmm. And that's something also that we're really nervous about is because like, our children are usually, when they go missing, they're usually labeled as runaways. So therefore, like, there is no immediate, like, police search. Now, again, like I said, with social media, it's helping because if a child's missing, uh, the parent can go on there and it gets shared. But before, a couple of years ago, our kids um, did not get the same privilege of, of the full police search to go find them. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and that's the reason why they said that Black women also, Black children also, like, high, like, trafficking. Um, mm -hmm. so it is, yeah. And, and, and I think sometimes we don't ever, we don't ever get like, um, the media doesn't ever really play to me sometimes like, um, our children as victims, like mm -hmm. if they're crying, that they do a crime, they'll blast their name, they'll blast their grandparents name, where they're from all in the newspaper. And, but like, not so much for like, if they're the victim of it, of, of an incident. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think it's like we've, we kind of criminalize black children so much to where they love to splash their infractions on all in the TV. But when they're a victim of something, we don't ever really try to, the media doesn't ever look for the resolution to and an impact. To me, and, and again, they, they become my kids, is they're not placing value on them. So yes. To speak. And like what... Things like the continued, and I don't even know how statistically this is correct, but if you don't value them as people, if if they're not, you know, we we have to say that you matter. It's it's like what, what Black Lives is all all about, right? Is saying Black people matter, and, yeah, um, and it's because we want them to be used to this. Like no one needs to. No one is so um, used to violence to where like, oh, someone gets shot. Let me go get something to eat. No yeah. one's used to it. We are used to them being um, being exposed to violence. Mm -hmm. Like it's really like society is okay with them being exposed to violence. But and that's that's also what you know made so many of our kids maybe struggle with behaviors or anger or, you know, I, I had a child come in and write about a thousand times on his notebook, I hate my life. And when I sat down with him, the thing he told me is he looked at me because I, you know, I thought I was going to maybe have to do an assessment. And he looked at me and I'm starting to ask him this question. And so he was like, look, Miss Cruz, I don't want to kill myself. And, and this is a young kid telling me this. And he's very grown. And um, I was like, okay. And he said, and I said, well, what do you mean by this? And he said, I just, I hate where I live. I hate that this, you know, this is what I see. He told me about a shooting that happened. Um, and it happened almost weekly, things that he would see. And like, that's, you know, that's what I'm talking about is it's, um, yeah, they, they might be used to seeing violence and, and they're very tough and resilient kids, but they shouldn't have to be. Like, we should be there for them. We should be supporting them. We should say, hey, I'm here for you. Like, let's, let's, help with this let's make sure people have their needs met so that they're not turning to things like drugs you know um so yes mm -hmm. and, and we do we don't want um we don't want to raise a generation of kids who are um who are are traumatized and because those uh, those children turn into adults who have to deal with trauma mm -hmm. and i have most likely have unresolved trauma 
And we don't want that. We want everyone to, we want to give everyone a fair chance. Exactly. And I, I think that, and you can't give someone a fair chance if, if you always place them at a disadvantage. That's exactly it. And, you know, when we're talking about like equity, because I always say instead of saying equal, I'm so tired of people saying we need to have, and, you know, everything should be the same in every school because it shouldn't. You know, there are certain schools that might need, um, yeah, they might only have 400 kids, but they might need seven school counselors because they have an entire school of kids with trauma, you know, <laughs> give them what they yeah. need and mental health. You're absolutely, that's, that's part of that. That's creating equity. That's helping the kids to deal with this trauma and things that they might be going through. And not only the kids, you're right. When these children are growing up, they're becoming adults with trauma and we've, we've got to help their parents too. Like we've, we've got to create this family community and, um, you know, work together. Yeah, and, and, and that's what I hope, because I do want to see, like, a, a, the next generation, like, every generation should be better than the next, and, I'm, and I would love to see my kids' generation do better than my generation, um, and so, and no longer have to need the, for protesting, or, like, or, or, like, the things that people were fighting for in the 1960s, and, and we shouldn't, like, that, this needs to be it. After this, this needs to be it. Mm-hmm. We should no longer have to fight for things that like should be human rights. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways, like when you look back for a lot of people, for a lot of people, things have improved over the years, you know, like some, you know, you are seeing more African-Americans be the first to do, you know, so yeah. you're, you're seeing a lot more of this. Um, but, you know, we, we still have work to do and um, you know, that's, that's, what people need to realize is it's not over yet and we want to continually be pushing and allowing for people to retire and like we have to look at why is that person doing something there they were a person they were doing it to they believe they were helping their family you know so it's it's seeing people as people first yeah and then yes and then also not just seeing people as people i'm seeing black children as children seeing them seeing them for flaws like no child is perfect they're still growing and learning Mm -hmm. and to um and to stop seeing like black children as adults to stop holding them to a higher accountability that you would white children um and and like if you see that they're doing something wrong or you see if you as an adult notice something step in if you're not even equipped to step in get the assistance for someone else to step in but like, don't sit there and give them the benefit of doubt. Like, oh, that's just how he, that's how he is. That's mm-hmm. just like, yes. Cause that same, like that same behavior or trait that you may be just kind of like, you know, cavalierly saying like, that's just how he is. It may actually be a cry for help or it may something. Absolutely. Some, yes. So. Yeah. And I, you know, it's something I found and I, I want you to jump in on this. Cause I obviously, I, I don't know, but um, something I've found with my African-American boys, um, and for some reason, I, I mean, I love all kids, but for some reason, um, I end up more often working with boys and, um, I, I love them. Uh, the mischievous boys, like, I just, I think they just are misunderstood. Um, but something I notice a lot of times when, um, our African-American boys are coming to school, they look for a lot more love. And I think it's, and I wonder a lot of times, cause, um, I hear a lot of mamas, you know, putting them in like, the role of daddy. Um, I see a lot of, um, uh, you know, they might be an older brother, so they have to watch out for their younger siblings. So a lot of times when our boys come to school, it's, it's almost, and I, I think people think that because they're boys, they got to man up, they're the man of the house. But what people miss, in my opinion, what I'm seeing is our boys need sometimes even more of that like nurturing um definitely than what people realize you know they they need yeah. that like, mama type love you know yeah and I think that's because we don't allow boys to be I mean society itself they don't allow boys to be vulnerable with their emotions mm-hmm. sometimes especially black boys they're told like you know yeah. man up or or you know or don't cry over that that's that you're being a punk and sometimes they need to be able to cry and express those emotions because mm-hmm. that's the only really way that you conflict um result you resolve your conflicts you with your partner with your like wherever is through communication and we have to teach them how to communicate themselves and we have to accept that communication even if it comes through tears mm-hmm. yeah you're absolutely right um 
this this has been such an insightful conversation and I, I'm looking at the time here. I know um, I probably should wrap up with you, um, but I would love to, you know, continue having conversations with you. Um, if you can, you know, you start thinking about something else um, you would like others to hear or um, something that we can do from a be a mentor standpoint or, um, and that's, that's another thing, uh, something I love is your son is in our program and, um, that's, uh, that's, that's something I tell people, a number one thing that you can do is be involved and understand where kids are coming from. Right. And, and yeah. community. Um, so, and I'm glad that we're just a small part of your little village and, uh, working with your child. Um, but if you think of anything and you want to come back on, you just let me know. And, um, if you ever have any, um, maybe something you want me to think about, maybe I don't say something quite right. Um, you know, please, you know, contact me and let me know how I can do better and do my part to help. Um, cause you know, I, again, this is, this isn't being, being colorblind. I'm not saying I don't see color. That's not what I mean. I do. We all see color. Um, but I, I think of, um, I think of us as we're in the same, we should be in that same fight. Like we should be family of one another and supporting each other. And, we have major differences, but how, how can I help, you know, bring you up? And there might be a time somebody needs to bring me up. Like how, do, how do we support each other? You know? Yes. And, and thank you so much for having, um, inviting me to have these conversations. Cause I mean, it's really, it's, it's nice to be able to express mm -hmm. and also, um, and so that way maybe others can understand what, what some African-American mothers are, are dealing with. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, you, you've done a great job. You're very enlightening. Um, and even not just today, um, I'll go ahead and throw this out here. When we worked together, you and I were in some pretty deep conversations um, and you brought things to, into my mind that I never would have thought of. And I was like, oh, I probably should think about that. Like, I never thought of it that way. So, and that's something, you know, I'd encourage people to do. Um, I know that we should know everything because everything there's access to everything, but there's also for everything that you say, there's another person saying something different. So sometimes yeah. we get confused as to how we should act and what we should say and what's appropriate and what's not. Um, so being able to um, think about the person doing as best they can and yeah, call them out if you need to, but um, you know, considering, is, is this person doing it out of hate or are they doing this? They just don't know. And I'm, I just appreciate you having these conversations with me. Yes. And thank you so much again. All right. Well, you have a good day and I'll talk with you soon. All right. Same to you. Bye-bye.